Hey everyone, this is Dr. Shalom. Welcome to Women Wide for Wellness. Today's guest is going to be talking about diet and kidney disease. Why is this important? This is very important because including me, a lot of people, a lot of physicians, a lot of patients don't realize that they have failing kidneys very, very early. Now, to just preface this particular conversation and another conversation that's going to be coming up, kidney disease is in five stages in modern medicine. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, and stage five. Stage five is when you get on dialysis. Stage four is when you get ready for dialysis by getting a shunt or a catheter placed. And stage three is when you get referred to a nephrologist. What happens in stage one and two? Usually you get put on medications when someone astute notices that your kidneys are not working like they should. A lot of times stage one and two are simply ignored because kidney disease begins as an accompaniment to many of the chronic conditions we tend to have like high blood pressure, diabetes, sometimes with no specific reason, not even medications. You might be taking Motrin for arthritis and not realizing you're damaging your kidneys. You may be on Mobic for long-term arthritis. And a lot of times, physicians don't look at the what is called glomerular filtration rate. That is the filtration through the kidneys per minute should be around over 100. Most people are between 90, 60 and 90 and that is ignored, but that is the early stage of kidney dysfunction. So this conversation with Jessiana, who runs KidneyRD.com, is an amazing conversation because she worked as a dietitian in a dialysis unit and could not help patients. Literally, what a lot of dialysis units do is we walk the patient towards dialysis. It's almost like we are not able to reverse or prevent. And her goal, her mission, the mission of the group that she runs, a group of dietitians who are available to help people with kidney disorders, is to prevent you from getting to that point of dialysis. Can it be reversed at any stage? There are anecdotal evidence that kidney disease can be reversed even in some of the advanced stages, but definitely in the early stages can be completely reversed. So if you're one of those who does not know whether you have a kidney disease or not, this might be the conversation you want to listen to. Once again, without any further delay, here's my conversation with Jessiana. And don't forget to also listen to my conversation with Dr. Robin Rose, who has been both a physician and a patient, particularly with chronic kidney disease. Go ahead and listen to this. And as always, make sure you share this video or conversation with someone else whom you believe will be benefited by this and connect with us if you have any further questions. Bye-bye. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Shalom, your host for Women Wide for Wellness. Today I have a very unique topic, something I don't think we've ever discussed this um, 
in our podcast, we've discussed about kidney stones, but this is going to be really about the health of your kidneys. I have with me our guest, Jessiana Seville, who is a registered dietitian. She's got a lot behind her uh, to where, how she created uh, her current um, uh, program, the kidneyrd.com. Um, I would uh, really advise you to check that out. And she's registered dietitian from Texas, but I think currently lives in Florida. Yes. And um, she, here's the good thing about this conversation. She comes from the dietitian world, which means her whole training has been on nutrition. So for those of you who get on these different diets, I want you to listen to this conversation because this is going to be very enlightening. So welcome, Jessiana, and thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Thank you, Chellum. Dr. Chellum. It is great to be here today. I love talking about this whatever I can. Very nice. So tell me a little about your journey um, to creating this niche in, um, I, I, I won't say management, but really understanding kidney disease, because you are a wealth of information, even for physicians like me. Uh, yeah, thank you. So um I went to school, you know, very traditional Western medicine training, and I always felt like I needed to be in uh, kidney disease <laughs> and work in that area. The senior year of my um, of my undergrad, I covered for a dietitian while she went on sabbatical to Spain, which I always kind of laugh about because I don't know, like, I don't think you can do that nowadays, but... Um, but that's what I did. And that was my first introduction. And then I knew that that's where I needed to be. So I worked in, um, I worked in an inner city hospital in Baltimore for a couple of years, just kind of covering everything, which gave me this really good basis of, you know, medicine in general, and then niched down into kidney disease, which for most dietitians means that you work in a dialysis center. Yeah. And I worked there for probably eight years or so. And then I was like, that's it. I've had enough. Like, there's too many people in these dialysis chairs that shouldn't be here. And so I want to be on the side where they don't actually get there. And we, we move in that direction. And there's a demand. The doctors in the nephrology in the dialysis clinic were asking me about seeing their patients because their doors were getting beaten down. And, um, and uh, you know, it's just really grown from there. I originally just, you know, very traditional uh, medicine or traditional nutrition approach. Yeah. And after a couple years, I switched to a more root cause functional approach after some uh, experiences with um, personal experiences with um, using uh, food sensitivity testing and helping my sister and my husband. And, and I thought, man, like if these people are getting better from like massive joint pain and serious gut issues why can't people with kidney disease get better too like why can't that be helpful and that's where yeah. i kind of like dipped my toes in and then suddenly you're like this is it this is you know an answer a completely new world yeah yeah so uh, talk to us about what dialysis a lot of people probably don't understand dialysis unless they have kidney disease and um, actually, if you ask me, um, dialysis has kept people alive, uh, whereas uh, decades ago, they would have died without dialysis, right? Because if your kidney doesn't function, you basically will go into a coma and die. So yeah. something that's so life-saving, what, what do you see wrong with it? And um, what, what made you frustrated about the dialysis 
what was happening to dialysis patients is not the you're frustrated yeah. with dialysis patients but what was happening to them was very frustrating because this is how some of us get to think differently right you were trained yeah. in the traditional um it, there are a lot of registered dietitians most of them work in a hospital setting yeah. or like in a institutionalized setting and they're given certain um what we call um I, I would say uh, a framework for yes. each disease process mm -hmm. and all the patients in that disease process are put into this framework, right? Great way to so, put it. Yeah. And when you say like, you know, I was getting frustrated after eight years in dialysis, what was frustrating about that? And that is, that's a really good question. So, uh, so for our listeners that are not familiar, dialysis is a therapy. You go into a dialysis center, which is you know a medical unit three times a week and get your blood filtered. So your blood goes out through a machine and comes back in. It's a three to four hour process. So think about sitting in an airplane for three or four hours, how like tired and like anxious you get just sitting there, doing that three times a week and having needles in your arm, like that's dialysis. Now, to the credit of this life-saving therapy, it does save lives. Yeah. Here is where the problem is in the medical community in general, is that uh, sometime in the 70s, there was some legislation passed that allowed every single person who got end-stage renal disease and needed dialysis to qualify for Medicare, which more or less made kidney disease the first socialized uh, medical condition, meaning you mm. can get covered through government funds. When that happened, dialysis became accessible to every single person. And that caused a cultural shift in nephrology from let's save people's lives because if we, if we can't get their kidney disease under control, then, you know, they're going to die to, we have dialysis so if they if they get on dialysis let's just get ready for them to get on dialysis and it is a multi-billion dollar industry right now most of the companies that provide dialysis are for-profit industries um and uh, there there comes some kind of unique uh, medical issues because of that for me the problem to that point was that the preventative part of this no one wants to be on dialysis right no one wants needles stuck in their arm three times a week and sit in a chair for four hours it's like a part-time job that you don't get paid for um and there were people there and i see them as my patients and i knew that if they knew what to do they would not be in that chair because nutrition hands down overwhelming research is so powerful at preserving kidney function, like period. There's not even a question about it. And yet the culture has not grasped that preventative mindset. Because dialysis is available. Yeah, but, but, but here's the thing. Every dialysis unit, first of all, is run mostly by nursing. I mean, there yes. is a nephrologist that exactly. oversees and sees the patients, I don't know how many times um, in a year. Yeah. But every patient, I get a note, when I get a note about their testing, which is done during dialysis, it comes with a dietitian's recommendations yes. about changing, you know, eat less spinach, more white bread, and da, 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 and, you know, avoid this, your phosphorus is high, so many recommendations. So it is about nutrition, but you're saying, are, are you saying the kind of nutrition that um, they do with dialysis is not necessarily helping the patient because that's 
that's the whole basis of kidney disease, right? They're always yeah. talked to a dietitian. Well, you don't talk to a dietitian before that you should. <laughs> Once you're on dialysis, you have a full team. You have a dedicated social worker, you have a dedicated dietitian, you have a team of nurses, you have a tech, you have a physician that rounds on you and sees you every single week. Mm -hmm. So like an enormous amount of support from the medical standpoint. Um, the, there's a really important distinction when you're looking at nutrition for the kidneys. Mm -hmm. There's two areas. There is preserving kidney function and then there's preventing complications. So most of the focus, the nutritional advice is about preventing complications. That's where like there'll be, you know, talk about potassium and phosphorus and sodium. That's all about preventing complications because you don't want people to end up in the hospital with crazy high potassium levels. Right. Talk about preserving kidney function is a whole other conversation. Sodium plays into that one too, but if you're on dialysis, I mean, for the most part, the attitude is, oh, they're already here. So like, who cares about preserving any residual function, even though it makes a big difference in um, how people's quality of life, but there's no thought to that anymore. It's just about, we don't want anyone getting in the hospital with high potassium. We don't want their bones to deteriorate. So let's control their phosphorus levels. So it's really a lot of like uh, knee jerk, uh, reacting to labs rather than proactive, um, proactive uh, nutrition care. Whereas a smart, and this is not the general culture, but a smart, um, a smart nephrologist, a proactive nephrologist, uh, a proactive nutrition plan is focused on preserving kidney function, which is looking at the gut and looking at how much protein and what type of protein and how many plants you have and how alkaline your diet is. There's so many like cool opportunities just within the realm of food to preserve kidney function. And when you look at all of them, you don't get hyper-focused on just protein or just on, you know, alkaline diet. When you look at all of them, then you really get some good traction in helping people preserve their kidney function. So let me put it this way. I think by the time a patient gets to a nephrologist, it's already, they're quite advanced. Um, talk about the different stages in the kidney disease and who would be the best person to actually identify it. Number one, how do they identify it? Yeah. Number two, what kind of people or uh, what kind of patients struggling with what kind of diseases should be up top, uh, you know, really asking those questions with their primary care, because the general, um, there are two types of patients. This is what I have noticed. Yeah. Patients who truly 100% completely surrender to the medical system. It's like, I'm going in there, they're responsible for my health. And you may see your doctor only three or four times a year, but somehow they are, you got this notion that they are responsible what they say is what I do even if it looks very conflict yes. right and then the other one that is completely skeptical so you have one that completely trusts and the other one that's totally skeptical will not take the care for what they need to from the medical system and then try to do things on their own and come up more messed up than ever right yeah so and then there are a very few people in between who actually have uh, the wherewithal but this world, you know, wealth of information that we have uh, very accessible, that you actually sit and have a conversation and then finding that doctor with whom you can have a conversation is a whole different podcast. But considering these two different types of patients, who 
should be asking questions. How do they ask the questions? Who identifies these patients and what kind of diseases are we looking at? I know it's a very broad thing. That yeah, yeah, no, that's, at. it's a good question. Cause I mean, uh, for, uh, you know, a patient listening to this podcast, how would you know if you're even risk of kidney yeah. disease and be asking your doctor those questions? Because the first touch point is your primary care physician. For almost everybody, you get sent to a nephrologist when your GFR is declining, but that first touch point is almost always going to be your primary care physician. They are the ones that are going to pick it up on blood work. Right. Kidney disease is more or less a silent disease until it gets really bad. <laughs> and so you wouldn't know that your kidneys are declining. And sometimes because of that, it can get kind of pushed under the rug, like, oh, they don't really feel bad. So like, we're not going to worry about it. But uh, who's at risk? If you have high blood pressure, mm -hmm. you should be asking to get your kidneys checked because high blood pressure really can hit your kidneys hard. If you have diabetes, you should be asking to, you know, annually to get your kidneys checked. If you have both of those, that's like two hits to the belly. Like you should absolutely be getting your kidneys checked because either one of those, you could have a decline. If you're on a lithium medication mm -hmm. as an antidepressant, you would want to definitely get your kidneys checked. I can't tell you how many people I know on dialysis or that have come to me that they had a, an overdose of that and ended up on dialysis. Um, if you are, for whatever reason, taking heavy doses of ibuprofen, you should be getting your kidneys checked. Uh, those are some like kind of big, broad categories. And honestly, kidneys naturally decline with age. Um, it's it's, uh, you know, people that are 70 or 80, they're going to have a very low level of kidney disease, even if they're healthy. You know, once you're over the age of 65, making sure that is still being checked can be a lifesaver because if you mm -hmm. catch it early on, it's so much easier to maintain your kidney function long-term, the more function you have, the less function you have, the the more restrictive a dietary approach becomes. And so it's nice if you just, if you, I mean, by the time you're early stage, which, you know, there's stage one through five, and then it's based on a number called your GFR. So that, that should be checked at your doctor's office to see if there's anything that's wrong. Right, right. And so I, in my practice, having practiced like almost 25 years, I've oh. noticed some patients who have um, stage three kidney disease with no diabetes, no uh, hi hypertension, but I suspect a lot of it is how they've lived their life. Um, they may take an occasional leave here and there, nothing significant. And um, a lot of it is uh, driven by just a high protein diet, which I find like with no, no other, uh, I mean, there's no, not if they do carbohydrates, it's refined carbohydrates, but their sugars don't seem yeah. to be a problem. So having, if you don't have any of these conditions, can you actually have a decline in your kidney function besides just age? Oh yeah, you can for sure. So one of the huge pieces that's connected to the kidneys is the gut. Mm -hmm. And there's something called the kidney gut access. Mm -hmm. So we do have people that will come to us. This is actually what some of our you know very frequent clientele who they say, no one knows why I have kidney disease. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. Like they don't know why I have kidney disease. And um, almost always, I'd say 99% of the time, that's not the only thing going on. And they may not have high blood pressure. They may not have diabetes. 
but they'll have, you know, IBS. I have a ton of people with IBS that come to us. They have IBS, they have, um, they'll have skin rashes or joint problems, whatever. And, you know, the connecting point with almost all of that can be the gut. Mm -hmm. And we definitely have seen some good results with people that are like, I don't know, I have this. I just have like a really messed up, you know, genetic, you know, a genetic deck of cards. And so like, this is just my lot in life. And that's not true. Like the body can heal if you get the right conditions and getting the right conditions is about getting the right diet. So we, in those cases, we like to look at the gut and think about it um, from that perspective, because there's almost always a tie to, um, to the decline if they don't know why. So how do you approach, so let's say somebody comes to you um, because they've asked the right question or their primary care is astute enough to say, you know what, from the last three years, I see there's a slight decline in your kidney function and your blood pressure is good, your sugar is good. I really need you to see a dietitian to look at what your nutrition is and if there's something else that's driving this before they go to the nephrologist because- The way I look at specialists and nothing against my specialists, I I love working with them. They're a wealth of knowledge in their particular field. But like, you know, my father used to say, you go to the barber, he's going to say you need a haircut. And when you go to a specialist, it's like, you know, uh, they're looking at, oh, when can we set up your dialysis? Or we're preparing the patient for years mm-hmm. together on dialysis. Like they say, you know, we'll keep checking this every three months, come and check your kidneys. And then when it, it's almost like I'm watching you fail. And then when you fail four years from now, I have the solution to keep you alive. That yeah. sometimes you get the group of nephrologists that have the time to do just that. Yeah. Sometimes they may initiate the dietary intervention, but most primary care physicians, if they see the early stages and they have no explanation, it's something that I, um, I mean, if ever there's a doctor watching this or listening to this, send them to the right kind of dietitian because I have actually sent patients to dietitians and gotten people's blood sugars worse and yeah. blood pressure is worse. <laughs> and I don't know how that happens, um, it, but it does. And a lot of times I think I used to work for the VA for 10 years. And when I sent a patient, I would send with clear instructions to the dietitian. So yeah. yes, on this added, this vegetables, that, and this, and removed. And and the diet, the head of dietary, um, uh, I think whatever they call that department, nutrition and dietetics, called my boss and said, uh, can you ask Dr. Chalam to just send us a counsel and not give us instructions? (laughs) And I I remember having that discussion with my boss. I said, why do they come back with worse blood sugars? And that's why I am doing my own research on nutrition and trying to tell them. So tell me what is the difference there? Like if uh, as a primary care, where do I find the right dietitian who understands the impact of nutrition on this particular organ. I think whatever works for this organ works for the rest of the body, by the way, but yeah, how do you that, find that? Well, that's really true. Um, okay, so the first thing I will say, and this is very unfortunate, but probably 95% of the dietitians that should know what to do are in dialysis, uh, that are kidney specific. And even within that realm, uh, there, are, there are few that are very, very aggressively uh, focused on controlling the disease. Hmm. And what I mean by that is this, not to, I, I really love my profession with all my heart. 
it is like, I do feel like it's a life-saving profession. But when we go through school, or at least the program I went through, and I don't think this is too far off to say this happens many places, we are taught a message of moderation. Now, a message of moderation has a place in a diet crazed world that can get really hyper focused on like the late the you know the latest and greatest and biohacking things like that. I totally understand that. A a mindset of moderation has zero place when you're dealing with serious chronic kidney disease or any chronic disease. And the reason why is that people that have these conditions, they have one goal, which is to, you know, for someone with kidney disease, they're not going to end up on dialysis. They want to live a long, healthy life. Mm -hmm. If I give them watered down information, I basically more or less give them nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, cause it won't, it won't work. So, and, and the other piece of it is, is that kidney disease is a very, is an area of precision nutrition. You don't yeah, I mean, the approach for someone with polycystic kidney disease, 100% different from someone with chronic kidney disease versus an autoimmune condition. Um, so I will just say that the hardest thing is that there is hardly anybody out there that takes an aggressive, serious approach. If you're going to find a renal dietitian, hopefully they are up to date on the latest training, which is we primarily, not for everybody, but most people, we take a plant-based approach first. Um, and you know, I, I teach classes through my business and I teach this aggressive approach where we give people clear, concise information, and then we guide them to get there rather than being like, what do they want? Okay. Well, we'll just try and see if we can sneak it in here, there. No, it's like, if you want to preserve your kidney function, this is what you do. A, B, C. And then let me help you get there. Not yeah. like you set the rules and then like, will kind of, you know, hopefully support you. It's, it's a slightly different mindset. So, uh, that's a long answer to your question. No, if they want to find a dietitian, they can go to kidney.org backslash CKDRD. And there's a database of dietitians. It's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. What type of renal dietitian you get there, but at least they know the kidneys, which is got it. When you say moderation, you're trying to say they try to be diplomatically, um, uh, acceptable and, um, right. That's what, yeah. You, well, uh, yeah. So let me give you an example. And this is a example of the evolution of my own approach. When I first started seeing people with kidney disease, I have this handout. It's probably still on my website somewhere embedded deep in like pages of stuff. And it's called less meat meals. So it was this really nice list of like meals where you can be primarily, you know, vegetables or starch and then a little bit of meat like tacos yeah. right it's like mostly other things and then a little bit of meat mm -hmm. so i had this hand of less meat meals so that is an example of a moderate approach where it's mm -hmm. like people don't really want to give up meat so we're going to kind of meet them halfway and do a lot of vegetables but with just like a little bit of meat and over time um that my approach totally shifted because at, i mean at this point it's like we do 100 percent plant-based at least for 90 days, we want to see where people can get with a hundred percent plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. And then we may teach them to reintroduce an egg or cheese or, you know, something in a small amount, but we need a mindset shift first. And then we need to know what works because some people, they really need to stay hundred percent plant-based. Other people don't. But if I teach all my patients, like, let's just do a little bit of me, a little bit's okay. It's not that big of a deal. And then their kidney function doesn't get better. No one has been 
helped. And in fact, I would say that I have totally 100% failed. So we take the most aggressive approach, the most restrictive approach, and then we can liberalize it once we get to know the person. But if you start liberal and then go restrictive, it like it just doesn't work. Right. So I think to your point, there is this place for precision nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I like what you said, where people get overjoyed with a bad habit and giving up meat is hard. Those, that's really true. And we grow up in like a meat and potatoes style. I mean, that's like very entrenched in American lifestyle. Right. One thing that we talk with people about, and you know, it's, it's helping people refocus on their long-term goal mm-hmm. um, is we say diet is not hard. Dialysis is hard. Like, yes. let's, let's look at the big picture here. So it seems really hard to give up chicken, but sometimes it just takes that mindset shift of like, what is my choice? You know, it, can I have chicken and not be on dialysis? And then it's like, would I rather have chicken or like have a life without dialysis? And that's pretty easy. You know, like most people don't care. Uh, at that point, they're like, well, obviously, like, who cares about the chicken? Like, I don't want to have needles in my arm three times a week and get my blood filtered out. So at, and the, I'm, that sounds really like a drastic, like, choice, but it literally can be that, that important. And for us, that's the mindset we take is that we go plant-based because the stakes are high. Let's see where we can get you. Let's get some kidney function resilience. Let's see your, your function come up. Does it impacts the whole rest of your body? And then let's see if you can do a little bit of chicken and stay healthy. I'm not anti me. Yeah. I'm just I'm just pro health. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah. No, it, you know, that's a very good point because even um, Dr. Esselstyn, who's also in a, a very well known in the plant based society, he always says um, it is not. Um, I, I I don't know what the exact word. It's not dramatic. It's not um, what do you call when you go to the other extreme, um, where changing your diet is not the most dramatic thing you can do, but splitting yeah. a person's chest and trying to bypass putting their exactly. brain under. Yeah anesthesia mm-hmm. and stopping the whole body for those few minutes that you're bypassing yeah. is actually a dramatic event. And that changes yeah. you forever. Yeah. Whereas the diet is something, what people need to realize is if this power to shift your health, it is how you nourish yourselves. It's a, it's a very simple thing. That's the power you hold. You don't need a prescription from a doctor for that. You don't need to yeah. go every three months to get renewal of that prescription. This is a drug that you hold every day and you can make a decision to say, are you going to be feeding my health? Are you going to be growing my disease? It's as simple as that. Yeah. And somebody like you can actually guide them through it and show how it impacts their health. So why do you think we're failing as a society? Because I will say in the last two years, I've seen three dialysis centers open in the area where I practice. Yeah. It's, and when you say failing, do you mean failing as far as nephrology goes or just in general with that? <laughs> no, I think we're failing in diet, number one, and we're also failing in prevention of uh, um, end-stage disease, right? Yeah. Um, we're, prevent- we're, we're completely failing in prevention. That's a yeah. blanket statement because no one goes to the doctor till they are 
in pain. Nobody truly does preventive care. As much as we speak about preventive care, no one wants it. Yeah. Because no one believes that they will be a victim of a disease, right? Till they wake up one morning and find this lump in their breast or a tumor in their brain or, you know, just die because there, there was a heart attack and they had no clue it was coming on. I think these are all things that happen because prevention was never on the cards. Even when patients come to me for annual physical exam, what do they come to me for? They'll come to me with a list and say, this is what my insurance will cover for. Can you order these tests? This is my patients bringing it in. This was the most frustrating aspect of medicine, how it switched. Now your insurance dictates what you get to have. And I, as the doctor, I might as well be a computer, right? You just tell me what your insurance says and I will order it. And people buy into that because they're paying such high premiums. This is what the insurance will cover. If they check vitamin D, that's $50 extra. If there's B12 unless I put a crazy diagnosis for them, that won't be covered. A yeah. lot of things will not be covered. And this is this is tr preventive medicine today. And you yeah. know that's not preventive medicine. So why do you think we're failing? Is it just insurance? Is it just the ignorance of doctors or uh, lack of uh, focus? I mean, because we can be focused on everything, right? Sure. As physicians. Yeah. What do you think has to shift? Man, that's such a big question. There's, you know, there's so many layers to a to yeah, the I ask you that in America, right? Yeah, my master's healthcare management. And we have, you know, the system when you look at it, and I, you know, when I look at kidney disease right now, actually there's a really great opportunity, but you have you have payers which mm -hmm. drive decisions because healthcare is expensive without your 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 insurance payer, mm -hmm. right? We have payers, we have patients and what they want, but patients are trained by a system. So I will say for myself, going to a primary care physician, and especially where I kind of have this like function, functional mindset, I don't really want to see them, to be honest, because they're going to weigh me, they're going to check my blood pressure, they might draw some labs, and then the best I can expect is they'll send me a medication if something might be wrong. And I don't really want that. So if I want to be healthy, I want someone that will be like, Here's you as a person anyways but so i think patients don't want to go to the doctor unless they're really desperate and some do but i i think that there is an overarching mindset that doctors don't always help you be well and so they just treat sickness right we have a sick care system not a healthcare system and so i think that's part of it um and but if you find a good doctor i always say they're worth their weight in gold <laughs> um and then you have the public system where you have public as a payer and you have policy right these are all the p's right payer patient policy and we have this policy system as well and then on top of that you have the actual business of healthcare mm. which healthcare is it is a business right and you know what is what is funded where do people make money dialysis is a really interesting microcosm of what a socialized medical system would look like because it was the first socialized medical condition um it's interesting to see how the rules of medicare drive what happens there and what choices people can make or not make um and what it's going to cost them i just i just think it's a really fascinating problem but for all of us, I mean, so what do you do, right? Uh, a single patient may not be able to change a whole system, 
but a single patient can be proactive in asking questions to their doctor and expecting an answer. And if they don't like the answer they get, they can find another doctor. You know, just because you go to a doctor once doesn't mean you stay with them forever. I always tell my patients, you hire the doctor, right? right? Like you're paying them to help you. It's not the other way around. <laughs> so like you ask the questions, they're professionals. They have answers, right? People, if they're gonna come to me for dietary advice, they should ask questions and we get tons of questions. And some of them are hard questions and I don't know the answer and we go figure it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I, I think as a patient, the most important thing you can do is number one, focus on your own lifestyle. What is one simple thing you can do today? Can you eat more fruits and vegetables? Yeah, every single one of us can do that. It's not really that hard. It's not that expensive comparative to what we spend on other things, right? It's not that expensive. Right. So we can eat more fruits and vegetables. We can decrease sugar. We can, you know, there's things we can do. And then we just ask questions. And if you're looking at kidney disease, you ask to get your labs checked and you see what they are. And if it's not a normal range, right, or declining, then you ask to get some help with that. Right. So this is where I think people do ask questions, but they ask the questions for the wrong thing. So for instance, uh, people, point. yeah, people come to us, um, right, and you're talking about changing their diet. That's yeah. overwhelming, right? Somebody who knows only meat and potatoes, um, who's been eating eggs because it's good protein and helps with your illness, and then you're eating chicken and steak and just a little starch, whatever it may be. And then you suddenly come to a physician or a dietitian who says, I need you to go plant-based 90 days. They will ask you all these questions. What if I, won't I be deficient in iron? I see that I won't be getting B12. You know, those are the questions they tend to ask, but when they go to their doctor and the doctor says, you know what, you have this condition and this is the medication you need to take, um, an ACE and a beta or an ARB to protect your kidneys. No one asks a question. Oh, I take this medicine to protect my kidneys, uh, right? So yeah. Yeah. So where do they ask? I mean, why is, I, I find this very difficult, right? As a, uh, I've been a traditional physician. I had no problem prescribing tests and medications to my patient. But the minute I became a functional medical doctor who does not take insurance because I don't want the payers dictating what I do for my patient. Right. Mm -hmm. And I actually sit down and get to know the patient. I get more questions about food that is not going to harm you than about the medications that they're already taking. How does a patient shift? I mean, wh what would be your advice to that? You mean shift to asking more questions about medications? Yeah, 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 and conditions rather than just the nutrition part, because this is where the resistance comes, right? Because the yeah. other person is keeping them comfortable where they are. They're saying, I'm going to work around you. You yeah. do what you're doing, and I'm going to work around you and buy you time. That's what the medical system is saying. Yeah. Whereas when they come yeah. to somebody like you and me, we're saying, you're going to be driving this whole thing. You're going to be working. Do it. And we, yeah. We're going to break down all of those things. And it's like, oh, my God, this is overwhelming. I got to ask more questions. Why do I have to do the work? Right? Yeah. It's almost that way. So it, what is the patient? What is the patient missing in all of this? You know, I think, uh, I think kind of a really root, root, root piece of this is, you know, when you think about diet, it's everything, right? It's you're eating three or four times a day. It's social events. It's your whole life. It's connected to your child. You know, like there's so many connections, like deep, deep connections food has in our life. 
So shifting is a big ask, not because it can't be done, but because you are going to unravel a life, a lifelong habit. And that's where it's really nice to work with a professional. And I think that's where people start asking questions because I think the questions are sometimes even less about the food, but it's more this, this plea of like, I want to do this, but I'm not confident. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I really feel like that's really the root cause of any questions that come from diet. The other thing that is a problem is that diet and food and food conversations and opinions about food. Everyone's number one, everyone's the expert. Every magazine <laughs> is the expert. Every doctor is the expert. Every celebrity is the expert. Everyone's the expert on food. <laughs> and you got a lot of expert opinions out there that are conflicting. And people are now very skeptical about approaches that anything that might feel extreme to them. I think the majority of people feel skeptical. So, you know, for me saying, if you have kidney disease, we should go plant-based. That feels like, whoa, like no meat, no dairy. Like that's extreme. So like, let's just reassess this. Cause I've, you know, I heard about this carnivore diet and all these people got better from whatever was ailing that, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I, I totally understand that. And that's where as a professional, um, we, we have to talk through the different pieces. When you go to see a dietitian, a good dietitian, they're not going to sit down and tell you everything to do first. What they're going to do first is ask you a whole bunch of questions about what you're doing, and then they're going to start tweaking it. So it feels similar to what you're doing, but way better and on the right track. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really like the art of it. Like people can feel overwhelmed. Like, but you know, our first question is, well, let's talk about what you eat for breakfast. And you know, if it's like, if, if it's eggs and bacon every morning, that's going to be a tough switch. Right. But we can get things that are close and that taste really good yeah. that can fit in the same flavor profile anyways. But so, yeah, it's, I just think it can feel shocking and you're already shocked all the time with food. And so, but I, I really believe if we had as many questions about medications, even if it was just three, what is the side effect? How long will, the, will I be on this? Is there any way I can get off that? If people ask those three questions about every single medication, they could really get some clarity on, on uh, what they need to do in their life to maintain their health. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the way we talk about it, like I remember telling my diabetics when they get diagnosed, you, yeah. as you metformin, you'll be on it forever and it's only going to get worse, but we will slow the progress. So there's a lot in the teaching of medicine that also has to shift. But yeah. to your point, most people, what I find is their sense of belonging gets broken yes. when you change their diet. Like yeah. you can't tailgate, you can't have a football game without the cheese and nachos and some pizza. Yeah. So those are the things that people are scared about. And in fact, one of my patients said, um, other than my family thinking I'm a food snob, everything else is okay, right? They feel like that's what they get labeled a certain way. And yes. this is something about society we need to be aware. When you have breast cancer, people will wear pink ribbons and walk for you. But when you tell them you're trying to get healthy and you're changing your diet to get healthy, no one supports you. Yeah. Right. Like misery loves company. That's yeah. that's when they support you. So I think this is something that every patient should hear. 
Um, so I think then really to summarize the important aspects of this conversation, number one, kidney is actually ignored till it's a crisis is what yes. I, and I, I've done this myself, I'm guilty of it. Um, number two, we really need to be asking our primary care physician, hey, is my kidney okay? If, especially when you have the high risk conditions, which you mentioned. Yes. And then the third one is when you do find the right kind of dietitian who's not going to be, um, you know, sugar coating things, but actually talk to you with facts, with science and help you understand there is a goal we need to get to and we keep making iterations till we get to a very sustainable way of living. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. I think so. And yeah. it's totally possible. I mean, change is possible and it and even the change, it doesn't have to be miserable, right? I think some people are like, I either trade health or I trade uh, either I'm going to be healthy. Enjoying life. Or I'm going to enjoy life. But yeah, you know yeah. what? They actually go together. When you're healthy, you enjoy life. And the food that you eat can be really, really, really good. And it is, you know, it is a shift. I'll have my patients say that. They'll be like, I feel like I'm at this point where I finally shifted. And it's just a new way. Like, I've just found different products that work for me now. Or I've just found, like, different meals that I really, really like. And, you know, there's always this little bit of a learning curve where you experiment and sometimes you hate what you eat and sometimes you really don't, but you will find new things. And there are, there are hundreds and thousands of people that make a shift and they preserve their kidney function for their life. Yeah. Um, That's totally, totally doable. And they enjoy their life. They enjoy their life, even with those changes. So as we wrap up, a couple of quick questions. Is there sure. anything you wish I had asked you, but I did not? Hmm, now that's, that's a great question. I thought this was a really good discussion. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's, uh, without another podcast that dives into kidney disease and like the specific approaches, I don't think so. I think this is- I, I think we should. we should. We should do this um, to get it as a, uh, so people understand kidney disease more and maybe we should bring them samples of blood tests. What, uh, yeah. what we're really looking at, that would be a great podcast for them. And sure. if there's something that people who are interested, like who've been told, hey, you have stage three, which is when they get told, by the way, they don't get yeah. told when they're stage one or two, but when they do get told that, is there a good place you would say go read and learn a little more about it so you can ask the right questions <laughs> okay so i'm laughing because i will say um one Other of the than... worst things you could do is research online so yeah. because the information is very bad very conflicting that's true so if you want a really good resource Honestly, I would recommend following any of the dietitians that are influencers in this field. Almost all, all of us are very proactive, plant-based. So there's yeah. there's me, uh, my handle is the Kenyard whether you're on Instagram or Facebook or, you know, whatever. And you can check out Kenyard our code. There's okay. me, there's mm -hmm. Jen Hernandez, there's Michelle Crosmer. So these are probably the three biggest voices. There's Diana Bruin. She's our PKD expert at the Kenyard but she has her own, like, uh, following at uh, kidney kindness nutrition. Mm -hmm. So there, if you can find a dietitian and this is what they do, this is their private practice. 
most of them are going to give some really good information about plant-based diet for chronic mm -hmm. kidney disease. And I think that's your best resource. I wouldn't use DaVita. I wouldn't use Healthline. <laughs> I wouldn't American use Diabetes Association. <laughs> I wouldn't use American Diabetes Association. So just or even Dr. Most, Oz for that matter. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, even even National Kidney Foundation. Oh, these places that look very big and reputable resources. Just their information is a little bit watered down, so you may not get the clarity you want, and you may find some conflicting information. Um, and that that's the only thing I just be cautious, be cautious about. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been yeah. an awesome conversation. But I think this is just, I would say, part one. This is like getting into KG, right? Yeah. And we have a lot more to discuss, and I'm really looking forward to more conversations. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, Dr. Chalm. It's been a pleasure being here.